Well, we find ourselves in Psalm 23 this morning, so I'd ask you to turn with me to that psalm, Psalm 23, and turn your attention to the reading of God's Word. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The grass withers, the flower fades, but this word of our God abides forever. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this word, and we ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts to receive it. Lord, unite our hearts to fear you, to trust you, to rest in you. Father, empower me by your Spirit to proclaim your word with truth and with grace and your gospel that frees us. Lord, be at work today. For your glory and for our good and joy, we pray. Amen. So I think there are a few lines in the Bible as well recognized as, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You could start those words almost anywhere, and someone would be able to finish them. You could do it at a hospital setting for sure, funeral home, definitely, but really about anywhere. You could start those words, and someone would pick them up. It's one of the best known and most loved texts in all of Scripture, and honestly, That makes preaching on it a little bit daunting because you wonder what more can be said about this text. It is so familiar, but I'm also motivated to preach on it because there is simply so much in this, and sometimes familiarity breeds a lack of actually understanding the depth of something. Because in a very short span, these six verses provide truth that can carry the heart through the lows and highs of life on this earth. One commentator put it this way, he said, depth and strength underlie the simplicity of the psalm. Its peace is not escape. Its contentment is not complacency. There is readiness to face deep darkness and imminent attack, and the climax reveals a love which proceeds toward no material goal but to the Lord Himself proceeds to the Lord. Psalm 23 shows us the Lord, the Lord of His people, our Lord. It's a psalm of great assurance, of tremendous confidence. And we see that communicated in the, in the dominant image of the Lord as a shepherd. God deeply cares for and is involved with His people, and it points us as well to this grand promise in Scripture that the Lord The sovereign and all-powerful God is with His people. 
He's with us. And that's the assurance. That's where our hope resides, is in His presence. And I pray this morning that what we come away with is that assurance more, is a greater standing on that solid rock, greater trust in our Lord, in the Good Shepherd, that no matter the circumstances, He is with us. He cares for us. He provides for us. And we're going to see that this morning. The psalmist communicates this really through two main images. One is shepherd and the other is host. So just two points, shepherd and host. So let's look at the first one. The Lord is my shepherd. As I said, this is the dominant image in the psalm. Certainly the most recognizable is this Lord is shepherd. It's used to convey how God operates with His people, with His sheep. That's what we're called, His sheep. And when you read this, and we've all heard this text many times, the words are immensely calming. The Lord is my shepherd. And that effect doesn't come because you can, and and maybe you do try this, but this is not what brings about the calming effect, is that you can kind of picture yourself in this iconic mountain meadow that the the dew is just kind of there, and it's a beautiful sunrise, and it's just peaceful, and the birds are singing wonderful songs in your ear. That's not the calming effect. The calming effect flows from the fact that the Lord is our shepherd. The Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, the the, the name that that is used most commonly to identify God as the God of the covenant, the God who made covenant with His people. He's called His people. He's chosen them in His good pleasure and has pledged, He's covenanted Himself to be their God. That is the great promise in Scripture, isn't it? And they shall be My people, and I will be their God. We shall be His people, and He will be our God. That is a tremendous promise in Scripture. Now, that term, Lord, though, the Lord is my shepherd, is used only one other time in this psalm, and it's in verse 6. And it serves as as the boundaries of this psalm, the front and the back, the beginning and the end, and shows that the Lord, that His care, His uh, compassion, everything encompasses all of life for His people. There's no place where He is not Lord, where His covenant is not active with His sheep. This reference, uh, uh, this emphasis on the covenant, it's actually fairly easy to miss because you only see Lord twice. But it's very important to notice that covenantal commitment of the Lord with His people is the grounding of why this psalm is so comforting and assuring. He has made covenant with us. And He said, I will be your God, and you will be my people. But then what does David say of this Lord? He says, he's my shepherd. The imagery of God as shepherd would would not have been new to the Israelites, okay? But this is actually, and this I just realized this week in studying it, this is the first time that language is used in the Psalms. So you're reading through the Psalms, and the dominant images you get of the Lord are as king and deliverer, great images, great terms, but there's distance involved with that, isn't there? You don't just go hang out with the king. Hey, can we go toss the Frisbee king or whatever? You, you just don't do, there's not that, that intimacy involved. Or there's other images 
of rock and refuge and shield and fortress. Those are tremendous, but they're pretty impersonal. And here, you have this intimate and personal term of shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. See, a shepherd lives with the flock, with his flock. He's among them. He is in many ways the, the, the lifeblood of the flock. He serves as guide, as physician, as provider, as protector. The shepherd has personal knowledge of his sheep. He knows each of them. Quite often they know the bleeding of one over the bleeding of another. They, they, they know their sheep well. They know which one's going to stray off the path and which one's not. As I said, this imagery isn't found only here, though. Psalm 95, 7, we read it for the call to worship. Or Psalm 100, verse 3, know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. It's His pasture. We're His sheep. Isaiah 40, verse 11, He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Beautiful imagery of the, the tenderness and the personal and the intimate nature of God as shepherd. But following that confession of the Lord is my shepherd, you have the words, I shall not want. Now, being able to state I shall not want has to follow from the Lord is my shepherd. That's why we have no need to want. Our, uh, it's, it's because our shepherd is the Lord. Now, now, think about this for a second. The sovereign Lord, the creator, David calls him my shepherd. My shepherd. It reminds me a lot of Paul in Galatians 2. For I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives me in the life I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. David personalizes the, the, the shepherd imagery of Israel, that, they, that Israel's the sheep, that God shepherds Israel to himself. The Lord is my shepherd. And it's very personal. It's, it's very much present as well. It is my shepherd, not he will be or he could be my shepherd. I hope he's my shepherd, but he is my shepherd. And this truth is what enables or empowers David not to be in want. And this idea of not being in want, not, not desiring and craving, not having these needs is so very counter to our culture and to our fallen and sinful nature. We crave. We crave more and more. We are taught to want and need more and more just to be happy. Look, the phone now has a little bubble that opens up so you don't have to change it. You should get the 14, right? I mean, we're told over and over, what you have isn't good enough. Get more. Get more. Get more. The point that David is setting forth in this text is that God is truly the only necessity that we have. God is our only necessity. One, one commentator pointed out, he said, this feels so naive to say this. 
feels naive. How rather off it sounds to the ears of the vast majority of people. How could, how could God be the only necessity? You know what? Jesus must have sounded pretty naive too, right? Matthew 6, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I'm sure there were those in the crowd who said, boy, that sounds really naive, Jesus. Shouldn't I make my vats and my barns really full? Shouldn't I trust those things instead? You see, the calling in this is to trust the Lord. It's calling for belief that He will shepherd His people. It's calling us to believe words like Psalm 34, verse 9 and 10, O fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Or we looked at it not long ago, Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Again, this, this language, it's so familiar, but let it stun you. Let it calm you. Let it reassure you because it comes even more and more beautiful as we understand the nature of it. Just, just look at how it's set. What's, who's the actor in this? Who's the subject? He, the Lord, the shepherd. He is doing this all. This is a description of what the Lord does for His sheep, how He cares for His flock. He makes me lie down. I honestly, I much prefer this over some of the translations that just say, He lets me lie down. Because I'm too dumb sometimes to lie down. And so are sheep. But He makes me lie down. He knows me intimately. He, the, the shepherd knows the sheep. Because, uh, you know, the, the reality is, is that we aren't bright enough to know what we need. We aren't aware enough sometimes, but He knows and He makes us lie down to feed and to rest. And that's, that's the picture that we start to have is this provision and rest that the shepherd provides. 
One commentator said, contrary to the usual understanding, the sheep-shepherd imagery is not aimed primarily at communicating a sense of peace and tranquility. It is intended, rather, to say that God keeps the psalmist alive. For a sheep to lie down in green pastures means to have food. To be led beside still waters means to have something to drink. To be led in right paths means to avoid falling in a hole or to avoid falling prey to wild animals. In short, God restores my soul, or better translated, God keeps me alive. You know, you look at the language of, he leads me beside still waters. The implication from the language there that's chosen by the psalmist is that it's, it's done with great care. It's purposeful. He knows we need those waters. He knows that we have them in order to give us rest. And those waters that are led to, you could, you could translate it as, he leads me beside secure waters, a place of safety to, to be refreshed. They're waters where the sheep can rest. It's a place of restoration of the soul. And you see, the, the, the shepherd would restore the soul, keep the life of the, the sheep in multiple ways. If a sheep fell, the shepherd would rescue the sheep. Or if it strayed, the shepherd would go after that sheep to bring it back into the safety of the fold. If the sheep was wounded, the shepherd would bind those wounds quietly or gently and, and compassionately. See, the shepherd knows and cares for his sheep, for all of them, the weak, the strong, the struggling, the thriving, giving each of them what they need. He leads us in, in paths of righteousness. And as was said, you, you translated in right paths, he leads in safety away from the pits and the dangers. The Lord uh, does this in, in multiple ways, but primarily through his word for us. Partly how he restores the soul. We looked at that in Psalm 19, verse 7, but Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, most of you are familiar with it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Keep you from falling off from one side to the other. And all of this, David says, is for his name's sake. Folks, this, this is actually very comforting. God provides simply because it's who God is. It's His character. It's for the sake of His glory and honor. He is God, the, the God who works for His people. He doesn't call us in the sense to, to work for Him, to get into good graces. He works on our behalf. think about that, that you have a God who works for you? Didn't Jesus say, I came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many? Not that we don't serve God. Yes, of course we do. But our God works for his people. Charles Simeon wrote this. He said, It is his own glory that he has consulted in all his dealings toward us, and especially in that astonishing patience and forbearance which he has exercised towards us from day to day. Our backslidings have been so grievous, and our departures from him so frequent, that we might well have been left to perish in our sins. But 
he considers that his own honor is involved in the preservation of his sheep, and therefore he has never withdrawn his loving kindness from us or ceased to watch over us for our good. It is on no other principle that we can account for our recoveries when fallen and our preservation from 10,000 evils into which we should have fallen if we had not been guided and upheld by Him. For His name's sake, and I'll just tell you this, just write this down for later. If you want to dive deeper into this idea of His name's sake, go home, read Ezekiel 36, verses 22 to 32. As He talks about, I do this for my own sake, and it's a good thing. Now, listen, this whole first section that we've looked at, these first three verses, has been telling us this. The only necessity of life is to live under God's reign. Psalm 23 subverts the prevailing cultural creed that our lives are our own and that it's all up to us. Life is not a reward to be earned. It is a gift to be accepted. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He provides for His people. And then we come to to verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I think it's very important that we've gone through verses 1 to 3 to come to verse 4. Because we recognize that even on the right path that our shepherd leads us, Sometimes there's difficulty. Maybe even oftentimes there's difficulty and there's treacherous parts of the path. There's deep valleys, there's dark places, scary times. And it's comforting to know that our Lord, that the shepherd is in control. He is leading. It does not matter where one is. God's provision is sufficient no matter the situation we find ourselves. And because God is with us, there is no need to fear evil. Now this, now, now, now listen, evil is certainly real, and evil can be awfully scary. But it's not to be feared. He's, David, again, though, he's not saying this isn't fear-inducing, but he's saying, I need not fear because of Christ, because of the shepherd. Because he says, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, it's because of the presence of the Lord, the presence of His rod and staff that we need not fear. See, the rod, the rod was most assuredly a, a shepherd's tool. It, it could pull, pull out a, a, a sheep stuck in a crevasse or something like that. It could, it could help care for them in that way. But in Scripture, the word is also used to signify royalty and authority. So there's the rod, and then there's the staff. The staff provided protection against an attacker, against a, a wild animal. Folks, sadly, I've heard this from, from people who've been in some spiritually abusive places where they say that the rod and staff is used to to discipline and beat the sheep. Run from that place. 
Because that is not what the rod and staff is used for. The rod and staff is used to protect and comfort and care for the sheep. Yes, maybe to move them along onto the right path, but not, not to harm us in any way, shape, or form. These tools were not used to beat on sheep. They were used to rescue and protect the sheep from danger, from wolves. But also, I want you to hear this. Those tools are absolutely worthless without a shepherd. The the sheep could have, like, hundreds of rods and staff all around them, but if there's no shepherd, the wolves are going to have a heyday. There needs to be a shepherd. And that points us, I think, to the, the central idea of this psalm, for you are with me. You are with me. That's where our comfort finds its home. The sovereign Lord is powerfully present with His people, and you should notice something in the language here. It's changed, hasn't it? He makes me lie down in creed pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, for you are with me. It goes from third to second person. The covenant-keeping Lord, the, the shepherd is with his people, with his sheep. They are, they are his. It's astonishing comfort to his sheep. The shepherd protects and provides for, cares for, and I would say genuinely delights in and loves his sheep. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Well, then we shift a little into verses 5 and 6. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, here the image I don't think is so much of a shepherd anymore as it is of a host or a, a friend a friend opening up, uh, open up his stores and providing for his friends, his people, his, his sheep, if we want to carry on that imagery. The language continues to reinforce this point, though, that, that God provides. God is the only necessity. He prepares a table. He lays out the provisions for his people, all that is needed, and he does so, it says, in the presence of my enemies. Now, that phrase I think, has, has one of two options for what it means. First, it's either that simply there's no worry about the enemies nearby because the Lord is with the psalmist. The, 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 if, you, if you want to go back to the shepherd and sheep imagery, the sheep don't worry because the shepherd's there. That wolf may be howling in the distance, but the shepherd's there to protect. Or second, that the enemies are present, but they're actually subdued already. They're prisoners. They're no threat. I lean towards the first option at this point. The second option will be true when the Lord returns. But the first option, I think, is where we're at. The the, the enemies will be present until Christ returns, but we can rest on the truth of 1 John 4 because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. But folks, not only is there a table prepared, but he also anoints the head with oil. And this isn't just something that's ceremonial in in a way, but it's actually a way of refreshing and honoring the guest. 
It, it, it was served a practical purpose. It helped, you know, kind of rinse off some of the grime or the smell or other things that were, that were there just from life and, and daily grind. But the host here doesn't leave out anything in his provision. He, he fills our cups so much that they overflow. And, and I'm sure this is not with stagnant water that's been sitting in a, in a skin for months, but this is with fresh water and the richest of wine. I'm sure you all have been to someone's house, or maybe you're this kind of host who literally thinks of everything. Like there's, there's a course for everything. They, they know who you are. They're like, oh yeah, you don't like chocolate chips, so I, I baked you brownies or, or just on and on. And it's just like unbelievable spread. And you're like, but you like literally just invited me over like an hour and a half ago. How, how do you have, you've just prepared so much. It's all there. It's all provided for. It's something that makes it all memorable and enjoyable and refreshing. And, and I think that's in some ways a picture here. And it's astonishing to think of the Lord with his people in this way. But it's something I also think we have to begin to grasp more and more. This genuine care and love of the Lord for his people. But this imagery, these, these figures, as Charles Simeon said, those strong and clear very inadequately represent the communications of His grace and the consolations of His Spirit. They're images used to convey something, but they, they can't touch the, the, the immensity of His grace and, and what we have by having the Spirit in us, filling us as believers. Think of what Psalm 16 tells us, the Lord is my chosen portion of my cup, or Psalm 63.3, where David affirms this, because your steadfast love is better than life. The reality of God's love and care for His people is incomparable to anything else we may obtain in this life. And I know sometimes that's hard to grasp. It's hard to, to put our hands around it, but the, the more we can get it up here, the, the more this will start to they'll come together. We have to start grasping the truth and understanding it, knowing it, and then have eyes open to see how the Lord has continued to provide for us, how He continues to be the only necessity. But then David reinforces this truth with, I, I think, the, the dazzling beauty of verse 8. Verse 8 is phenomenal. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a perfect way to end a psalm of this magnitude. Goodness and mercy. Goodness. It's, it's actually the same word that God used at creation when He said, and it was good. And when man was created and woman, He said, and it was very good. That goodness and His mercy, the, the, the word that we often use to, to translate as steadfast love, is His never-ending, always-present love. So His goodness and His mercy, His steadfast love, it is these that will follow. And actually, better yet, I think, and, and I think it's just hard to change something that's so well-known, I think it would be better to say, surely His goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. Pursue. 
Our host, our, our friend, our God is actually active in his care and his provision. He, he pursues us in order to secure us in his goodness and his steadfast love. He is not passive. God is not just sitting up there just waiting for us to do whatever. He is actually actively pursuing his people. This image is even more striking when you consider even just what's come before in the Psalms. Who has pursued David so much? His enemies. Who's pursuing him now? Who does he actually recognize that's been pursuing him all along? His God, his shepherd. It is God who pursues. And he doesn't pursue us to kill us, to dethrone us, to do any of that. He pursues us with goodness and mercy. With goodness and mercy. I don't know who said it, but the, the picture of the hounds of heaven pursuing, just barking and nipping at your heels forever with goodness and mercy. I love that image. And so with that, we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now there's something that I think is, can be often missed here. And that's that that's a communal statement. Right? It's not that just me, just me and Jesus will get the whole thing going. You know, it's not that. It's I'll dwell in the house of the Lord. I will dwell with God's people forever. Folks, this is the church. The family of God. This is home. It's where we can go and find refreshment. It's where we ought to be able to go and find refreshment. All that we need and, and, and come to it without money, without price. Read Isaiah 55, 1 to 3, where, where whoever thirsts comes and finds life. Listen, God calls us into a home, a family, into safety. And this insight was helpful. He says, this commentator wrote, church is home. Church is home. If it's true, if indeed we are at home in God's household, if the Lord is truly our shepherd, if God is really the only necessity of life, then the implications are profound and radical. And I'm going to ask you each to think through those implications. If this is home, if this is what we're called to, is the family of God what does that mean about the rest of our lives, about our day in and day out? Folks, this, this psalm is glorious. Don't let the familiarity just let you just read right over it and the glory of it. But I would also, I think I'd be a little bit negligent, or probably a lot negligent, if I wasn't clear in how this psalm so beautifully points us to Christ. There are many who I, I think rightly point out that Romans 8, 31 to 39, and Psalm 23 are very similar in what they say. That nothing, nothing will ever separate us from the love of our Savior, from the love of our Shepherd. He'll pursue us all the days of our lives. 
we're safe and secure. But also, the shepherd, we, we know it, we, we can think about it, it's, it's Jesus, but yeah, I, I even think about the last section, the, the provision. Jesus calls himself the bread of life in John 6. He's all that we need. He is that provision. He is the, 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 the store that's laid out for us. But even more so, John 10. What a glorious passage. The good shepherd. Jesus identifies specifically there as, I am the good shepherd. He's saying, I am the Lord of Psalm 23. One, I've come, I've, I've come to, to dwell among you. I am Emmanuel, God with you. He calls his own sheep by name. He knows them. Read through this chapter when you get home. He, he, he saves his sheep and leads them to pasture. He protects them from wolves and thieves. He's much better than the hired hand by far, but he goes further than that. Verses 14 and 15, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's how we have life, is because he gave his up for us. To take the sin of our wanderings, because we are prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love, he died for that wandering. He died for our rebellion. We have such great assurance. David writes this glorious psalm, and he didn't yet know the Savior, not as, as we do. He didn't know what all would happen, but we have that great assurance that God is with us, that we've seen our, our Lord give himself for us and rise from the dead, and, and we know he's ascended and seated at the right hand of God the Father, and we confess that he will come again to judge the living and the dead, to take us to be with him. Goodness and mercy will pursue us all the days of our lives. So bask in the reality that God is with us and provides for us. He pursues us with that goodness and steadfast love all our days. Folks, the response that this calls for is the same response that, that follows the theme of the Psalms. Take refuge in the King who reigns. Take refuge in the Good Shepherd and be blessed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word, and Lord, we ask that you would that you would help us to see more and more this beauty of the Good Shepherd, our great Lord and King, the one who loves us, who gave himself for us. Lord, work this deep into our hearts. Work it deeper into my heart. Do it, Lord, for your glory and for our good and joy. In Christ's name, amen.